Conversations with Leaders is a podcast focused on the intersection of business and technology. In this episode, Tanuja Randery, Managing Director, AWS Europe, Middle East and Africa, is joined by Mark Van Zettelhoff, CEO at Devo, to discuss the challenges and opportunities of leading a modern global cybersecurity organization. Hello, this is Tanuja Randery, Managing Director, Europe, Middle East and Africa for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. In this series, I will be speaking with CEOs from across the EMEA region about what it takes to transform business and society, how they are leveraging data and technology to accelerate growth and innovate, and their insights on topics such as sustainability and addressing the digital skills gap. We will also be providing a glimpse into the personalities behind some of our great leaders of industry. I'm extremely excited to be joined by Mark Van Zadelhoff, CEO of Devo, having been in position since September 2020. Mark has over 20 years of experience in strategy, in venture capital, business development and marketing in the cybersecurity space. And before joining Devo, he filled the position of COO of LogMeIn, a pioneer in remote work technology, and one of the largest SaaS companies. Prior to that, Mark was the co-founder and CEO of IBM Security for over 10 years. Mark is a Dutch American. He lives in Boston with three daughters and is an avid skier as well. He's also extremely committed to building effective and high-performing cultures and driving continuous improvement in client service excellence. Mark, we're so excited to chat with you today and thank you for joining us at reInvent where we record this. Nusha, it's great to be here. Thanks for the lovely intro. Well, let me jump right in. It's been a big couple of years. At it Devo. has. You've announced two acquisitions last year, led successful funding rounds, and and also really looking to disrupt the market. What? How has it felt like these last two years, and what are some of the key drivers of the success that you're driving at Devo? It's been a busy couple of years. I think when I got there, I had a pretty clear remit from the board to continue a transformation that was just starting at, at Devo. Devo was founded about 10 years ago in, in Madrid, Spain. And it was founded as a machine data analytics company, but it was quickly pivoting and and they wanted me to transform the company towards being a global company, not just uh, oriented around its roots in Madrid. And then the use cases were primarily customers were pulling us towards cybersecurity. What we do is is relevant for a lot of different data analytic problems, but it turns out it's uniquely amazing on the cybersecurity, security operations center use case. So that's where we really have focus. So it's that transforming that company and some of those moves you mentioned were part are part of that transformative journey that we've been going through over the last three years. Yeah, super interesting because on the one hand, you've got this core of Spain and the founder, and then on the other hand, you want to go global. How do you, in the course of that change, keep the talent and the culture aligned? I mean, how would you describe that challenge and how would you describe the culture of Devo that you're hoping to establish? Yeah, it is a, it's a negotiation in a weird way between the heritage and the future and respecting both sides of that. You know, one of the things I tried to do in the first months I was there was let's stop talking about the Spanish team and the U.S. team, right? Let's talk about the engineering team and the sales team and the marketing team. Let's use proper descriptors as opposed to nationalities when we talk refer to each other. That will make some of the stereotypes go away, even some of the biases that were inherited in some of those statements. And I think it's, you know, valuing where we come from. I have a 
Funny background, myself and my dad and I are from the Netherlands, but actually my mother's from Argentina, so I, I once drew a line from Argentina to the Netherlands, and I explained to the team in Spain that Madrid is right on that line, so there must be something to that. it. And so, you know, I speak uh, horrible Spanish, and I use that much to their dismay, and, and so you, you try and respect that heritage, but at the same time explain to them that if you look at, at all of the unicorns in the, in the cyberspace, in the SaaS space, there, there have been nine in Spain. There are it is impressive. There are 28 in Massachusetts and there are 200 in California. So when we think about building a global company, it's not all going to happen in Spain. We're going to love that heritage and respect that heritage, but then also move beyond that to things that our customers need us to do globally. Yeah. And actually, as you think about that global expansion that you're um, undertaking, I mean, obviously you also have to follow a customer base. And and actually, I didn't realize there were nine in Spain. Wow. I mean, that's very impressive in it itself, is. isn't yeah. it? Yes, yeah. exactly. No, it's been, it's been fascinating, the development of our own business, by the way, in the Spain area. Spain is a, is a hot area, but it's early in that cycle compared to some of the other hot. It's ahead of some, but, you know, compared to California and some of the other places, it's obviously just getting started. But there's a lot of talent there. And so we pull the talent that we can there and uh, and then from there build that global team. And do you, I, you know, just going back to the line that connects all of these various, you know, centers of the world. Do you mix your teams? Like, what are you doing specifically to drive that cultural intergeo connectivity? And, and I guess it's super important because it brings that diversity into your own, frankly, core product development, probably. It's a weird, uh, weirdly different definition of diversity, right? Running an international company like this, uh, not the di- definition that you typically would use in a North America-only company. That's still very important, and we focus on that, especially in North America. In Europe, there's a different definition of that diversity with all the immigration happening in Europe. And then when you're running a Euro-American company, you have to think about diversity as the representation. And and it's not always been smooth, right? Uh, when I first came in, we really had, at one point, an all non-Spanish uh, senior executive leadership team just happenstance. We picked the most qualified people. Some people retired, some people moved on. And before you know it, I had no Spaniards uh, on the team. And we've since been able to correct that with a couple of promotions. So yeah, that's a different sense of diversity. It is important, right? You want the best, but you also want to make sure that, that, that the heritage of the company is respected. And we have a lot of employees here. So how do we know what's going on if you don't have that represented? So I think it's that. But at the end of the day, to the earlier point, you know, 80% of our, our customers today are in North America. Right. We've seen this huge boom and demand in North America for what we do. And so you also have to meet that need with product management leadership and technology leadership and uh, sales leadership and success leadership in the place where those customers are. It can't all be a transatlantic phone call or Zoom. In this extremely fast-moving space that you operate in, particularly with this global business customers around the world, teams made up of really, you know, different cultures and diversity, extroverts, introverts, etc. What are the top one or two ways that you think about your own leadership style in enabling this incredible foundation you have to the next level of performance? Maybe I'll, I'll harken back to three words that I learned early in my career, actually in the city where you you live, or I think you live near, in London. I remember when I first was a consultant coming out of college, someone mentioned to me that to be successful in your career, you should be curious, committed, and humble. And, and I've always loved those three words. And so I think and it's funny when I meet people, they'll, they'll say, yeah, curious, committed, and humble. I've always thought about, about that, those character traits. So I don't know if that's a leadership style, but I think it's certainly a set of sort of leadership values that I embed and test. I always think I never coded a line of code in my life, and I've never been on commission, right? So the two 
you know, biggest teams at a, at a software company are the quota carrying, you know, salespeople and, and the surrounding cast around that. And then all the engineers, the coders and the surrounding cast around that. I've never done either of those, but I'm intensely curious about both. So I spent a lot of time in the lab and a lot of time in the field. So I think that curiosity, you know, it works, works wonders in that sense. Committed is the hard work. And then humble, you know, I think when I was at IBM, I, I remember a lot of people when I was running you know, we founded and put together IBM security with a whole team of folks. And, and people said, geez, you're, you're running that division and it's, you know, two and a half billion in revenue at the time. And it was quite a, a sizable business, uh, but you're so approachable. And I, I thought, yeah, you know, I think that humility, you take it, uh, you take it with you wherever you are. There's no reason to become a jerk or aloof just because you have a fancy title. So I think that that, you know, gets back to recruiting people. I think people come work for me and for my team because we're accessible, we're authentic, we're we're good folks to work with. And so I think that those are all come from that curious, committed, and humble uh, trait. We hope you're enjoying this discussion. To join the conversation and engage with other business leaders on these topics, follow us on LinkedIn at AWS Executive Connection. In this particular day and age of generative AI, if I may just go there for a second, of course. <laughs> How do you think about that in particular? I heard someone say to me once, leaders need to really, really have this learning quotient more than ever before. And as I think about all that we've got to learn about generative AI, but then also the applications of that, the ethics of that, the governance around that, and your own role changing as a CEO, maybe. Yeah. Potentially. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Help me with your perspective on this. I'm not going to have all the answers, but I, it strikes me that generative AI will do for a lot of things what the calculator did for math, right? Where I think it's going to take a lot of those basic functions out. You don't have to memorize the answers to, to the, the rote aspects of, of jobs. I was speaking with a lawyer who really hadn't used generative AI at all. And I couldn't help but saying like, <laughs> dude, you should like, throw a contract in there and ask it, you know, what are the salient points? You know, how do I negotiate better terms if I'm the buyer or if I'm the seller in this agreement, right? It, it can do stuff like that and it won't be 100% right. You'll have to still do your work and you'll be the one making the decisions, but it will give you some interesting advice. So I think it's going to have that impact on a lot of these jobs where we're going to have a calculator that does the math. Linking that to curiosity, I still think the most valuable employees to have, and you don't need thousands of them or hundreds of them are, but are the ones that really think of the new ideas. Mm -hmm. I think the creativity is the thing that you can never AI away and, and actual new ideas, the ideas, you know, that I've worked on with teams around, you know, that transformation I mentioned and the ideas behind that, the ideas behind building a division at a large company, all, all these things create, you know, the, those core strategies and ideas, I think, probably you can't outsource that to AI. So I think having having a strong, using your curiosity for coming up with new ideas is where I think you have to keep the focus. Yeah, and we are in early days, isn't it? I mean, you know, in terms of just massive experimentation. I mean, the, for me, the one thing I've noticed with Gen AI, which is great, is we've always been trying to bridge the gap. And like you, I've spent time in consulting. But as I think about where we are, it's finally, I don't know, sp speaking to the hearts and minds of CEOs, boards, line of business leaders. Technology has stayed at one in one part of the world and business has stayed in the other part of the world. And I think bridging this divide, this technology has the power to do that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that that divide has been disappearing. I remember meeting the CIO of one of the largest Canadian banks five years ago and 
the CIO mentioned, you know, Mark, we're basically a technology company that moves money and our CEO is non-technical. So think about the implications on the CIO, right? And I think that that now, now in cybersecurity, we've seen that where it used to be a topic for the complete nerds in the basement of the building and, you know, please don't let them out to now it is a quarterly board meeting topic. So I think that that divide of, yeah. of business and leadership and technology is, is, is shrinking. And I agree with you that the AI now, as it's going from some of the predictive stuff we used to do to this generative world is really, everybody has to know the implications. And and let me pick up on that point about predictive and generative. Can you can you shed some more light to your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at for example Devo just to get yep. into, you know, what we do taking in lots of data, we've been using machine learning models and different algorithms to do predictive behaviors, you know, user behavior analytics or based on lots of different alerts coming out of your mm-hmm. different entities, what will happen next. What I think, you know, generative is doing is able to read things and generate conclusions in a way that that weren't possible. So we're seeing this whole new pot of honey of, of value in, in the generative side where you can start to say, not just come up with predictions and alerts, but take, you know, because the problem we have in the security operations center is even our wonderful product can throw out a hundred or a thousand alerts a day for a, a large client. How do you take those and summarize them and say, you know, a hundred of those have to do with Tunisia doing a failed login because, you know, she forgot her password as opposed to something really important, right? And that's where you can start to see the generative capability. And we're working with Amazon on this, Bedrock and some of the technologies to really start to say, how can you generate intelligence on this? And that was not possible with some of the things we did earlier. There's a lot that you can do with AI and machine learning today, even if you haven't applied the generative AI element to it, but that then brings it to the next level. And that's that's the wonderful thing I love about this business that I'm in and, and AWS is in this business as well of just massive amounts of data, right? And and massive. Because you can't, yeah. You can't none of the, the base the base of all this, whether it's amazing analytics or machine learning and, and prediction or generative is having lots of data. And I think most companies, tell me if you're hearing this as well. I think most companies are now starting to realize that data is an organizational asset. Yeah. But people still today don't know where their data is. Yeah. It's lying in, you know, different platforms. You know, it's not really been modernized to be able to do something with it. When you go into a customer to get them to the next place in terms of security, which is critical, how are you getting them first to get their foundations right? Yeah, well, I, I'm... You know, Tanuja, behind you here in Vegas, I see yeah. <laughs> I see multiple windows, and I always talk to customers. This I think four windows behind you, and and their kind of curtains are covering yeah. half of two of the windows, and and a lot of our customers have half the curtains closed. You know, of 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 their data, right? They are only able to get visibility into about half the data, a third of the data. Why? Because it's too hard to get to. It's too expensive to store and analyze, and it's too difficult to to make sense out of it with too many false positives, right? So if you can start solving those problems, the blinds go open, they get all the data, they get all that insight. So that's, it's, it's actually my third time in the logging space in my career. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been very persistent. Yeah, very persistent, <laughs> yes. I, I, I have a, a talk that I call, I love logs. And my, my Is that right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because I think log data in particular in the security space, metrics and tracing data, if you... Do the right thing to that. You open the curtains. I like that. You open the curtains. Now, at the same time, I'm sure you're also getting 
inundated with questions about the security of using generative AI. Should I ban all of this? Should I let it loose so it creates that creativity and experimentation? What are you advising CISOs? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's an inundation. It's a concern. I think that there's some pretty good technology, you know, in addition to what we do, although it wouldn't be maybe the first use case, but I mean, certainly collecting log data around what people are doing can help because it means that you can see if people are doing untoward activity through collecting that. But this, you know, there's technologies like data loss prevention uh, technologies, which are especially good at looking at what kind of PII, personally identifiable information, people are sharing outside of the business. Does it contain credit card? Does it contain customer data? You can you can tune that technology pretty well to, to sense when people start sharing stuff they shouldn't. I think some base data loss prevention controls and some strong rules. And I think the biggest thing you can do is just subscribe to a service, right? What I see is a lot of companies don't bother getting an enterprise license to, to whatever LLM technology they've chosen to use. And so then they're letting shadow IT do this. So then you have people doing this on the side, subscribing to their bring own. Bring your own. Bring your own, <laughs> right. Bring your own, exactly. Bring your own AI. And and then you have no control. So So it's like many things, you know, you know, with many things in life, if you want to control it, you legalize it, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> if right. you want to control it, you legalize it, and then you put rules around it, and then you make very clear. And then probably some companies are going to have to make some pretty, pretty uh, stern examples at some point, firing somebody for you know taking all the customer data and uploading it to whatever LLM model and asking you know for trends. You know, you're gone. We had clear. You know, we, we allowed you to use it. We said here are the rules. No, you know, that's not allowed. I mean, you, you you raise something that I think, you know, we always talk about, you know, is the governance itself, right? Because a lot of times it's not actually, again, you know, you, you, you don't blame the technology. You figure out what are you doing in terms of training, education, enablement, governance, KPIs, are you inspecting, you know, all of that. And then... It's a lot of security comes down to people. As much as I love talking about technology, the old joke is you, you can't patch incompetence, or I believe it's you can't patch stupidity. And and if you take that literally, it means that you're blaming people. But what it actually means is exactly what you said, which is insecurity. It's your obligation, not just to roll out all these technologies, but to train awareness, rules, policies, practice, you know, desk exercises, make, make your people understand so that they don't make mistakes. This idea of constantly learning, back to your point about curiosity, reskilling, and there's a lot of onus on us, yes, you know, to ensure that our teams continue to experience that, but also that we're bringing in, you know, this digital skills gap we talked about. I'm really thrilled to hear that you don't see it as the biggest problem that we used to have, but I do hear it a lot. And getting people into the economy, into the digital economy, is so critical. We're doing a lot as well, you know, with college curriculums, academy, et cetera. So. Yeah, I think you guys have the scale and, you know, uh, I've prior lives, I've, I've gotten into that, the whole idea of new collar jobs. And, you know, the, these, I think it's super, super powerful because certainly in cybersecurity, somebody with a good tech high school degree or a high school degree with a tech diploma can be an amazing analyst in the SOC and then maybe do their college education later in life if they're not ready for that. So there's a lot of people who want to include uh, and, and that, that belong, right, to use those words um, without having a PhDs or master's degrees. We don't, we don't need them for a lot of the jobs we're trying to hire for. Yeah, and that's great. 
great. I like that because everyone thinks you just have to go to uni or college, but actually there's so many different ways that you can live your life and really enter this economy, right? I know that you're very outspoken and passionate about mental health in particular. And I know you have a partnership with Cybermind, I think it's called. Correct, yeah. But you've also written a couple of articles specifically around how CEOs should think about mental health and burnout and stress. I mean, I actually read a data point that 55% of security SOC analysts have considered leaving their job due to stress. And actually burnout can cause security breaches as well. How should the industry address this issue? Yeah, I think first of all, you know, in mental health in general, I've, I've for, for better or for worse, had experience of that. And I think a lot of people have in, in my extended family. We had a dear member of our family commit suicide after, after mental health. And that was a super formative part of my, my and my wife's life. And so, and what you notice when you go through something like that is that, you know, there's, there's shame and there's secrecy around mental health, right? And around, you know, people who take drugs for it, people who talk about it. And so I, that really got that episode and, and, and the repercussions of that got my extended family talking and and we still talk to this day about about you know that and and what to do about it and i think it's just important to normalize it so i i i I don't like talking about it because I like the topic. I like talking about it because I think it's important to normalize it. And then I think COVID just added, you know, salt to the, or, you know, fuel to that fire. I mean, I think with COVID, many anxieties, one, the anxiety of, you know, heck, are we all going to die of this disease in the beginning? And then the anxiety of being isolated. And then the anxiety that I still feel we have as a society of being unisolated, of getting out there, come to the office, come meet people. You know, I still think we're we're not fully there, not fully formed in terms of people being normal when it comes to just, you know, the good old days. I don't know, maybe I'm old fashioned, but but I still think there's a lot of hesitancy and anxiety that that has come out of that because people got used to being more isolated. So, so I think there's that aspect. And so what we've tried to do at Devo, I, again, I try to have conversations about it. We have rolled out some programs in that area. We've also made an ombudsman program available to make sure that people yep. can unload when there's stress. I'm sure, you know, you guys are far advanced on that versus a small company like Devo. And, and then, and then when you get into the statistics of the 55% of people working in the SOC, I think, I think maybe it does converge with my day, day work, which is that, you know, as I mentioned before, if you're working in a security operations center, you think about the pressure you're under. And I've heard even more recently, a bunch of CISOs say, do I want to be in this line of work? Yeah. And that's the last thing we want right now is CISOs giving up. We want them to feel empowered. And so that causes stress, that causes mental health issues, let alone the teams on the on the floor in the security operations center. Thank you for sharing so openly about your own personal situation, because I think it is important as leaders that we are actually able to reflect on those and then build on that around us. You know, it feels to me like, and, and maybe I'm wrong on this one, Mark, so correct me if I get this wrong, but I think um, this point about how do you release some of that pressure on time activity for your for security analysts, for CISOs, so that they can spend their time on the things that are really valuable and bringing it back full circle. I know you launched something called Deep Trace, yeah, which is an AI augmented solution, in fact, very specifically. Does that help, A, release the pressure in terms of you know, the threats and the incidents and how you think about breaches. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Deep Trace is an example. I would call that an example of the predictive AI. And we're, we're working and coming out with some of the generative examples that we talked about earlier. 
and just analytics and just automation and augmenting, right, the analyst uh, workflow. Anything you can do to make an analyst more productive will lower the stress level. So it's not just AI. It is, you know, in my case, it's my entire product that is, you know, trying to make it easier to collect that data, open the curtains, analyze that data, apply AI, automation, et cetera. Deep Trace is a great example where we're doing that on, on some of the most critical data, which is the endpoint data coming off of laptops and desktops and mobile phones, so where a lot of the attackers hang out when they're yeah, doing their, exactly. their evil. So making sense of that data is crucial in a real-time manner. So that's what Deep Trace does. But we have a different module, user behavior analytics, that does that for different use cases around users. And we have others that do that for other scenarios. And it's really trying to make the SOC an easier place to work. Mark, maybe one last question, because um, I know you have other things to do at reInvent, I know. And thank you so much for the time. I would like to maybe bring it back full circle to driving change and transformation at speed and enabling organizations to adopt, embrace technology in a secure and sustainable fashion is critical to being able to evolve the world to where we need to, to go. As you sit in your seat and as you speak to many CEOs around the world, your customers and your partners, as we look to this next generation of technology and where we are uh, and the pace of change, what one leadership trait would you have us all as leaders think about as super important, particularly now? You're not a leader unless someone's following. And so I think pay attention to that aspect of leadership. It's not just about running ahead. It's about bringing people with you. Maybe in this world of AI, it's really important that we bring people with us in this journey. And I think in general, as I mentioned, around curious, committed, humble, the authenticity, look over your shoulder and make sure people are following you and excited to do that. I think if you do that, that's the most important part of leadership and, and driving these transformations. Thank you so much. That's a great place to end. I really enjoyed our conversation. Learned a lot, actually, as well. And look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Thanks so much, Nuja, for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Leaders, brought to you by AWS Executive Insights and Tanuja Randery. For more on these topics, follow Tanuja on LinkedIn and visit aws.amazon.com slash executive insights. While there, be sure to learn more about AWS exec leaders and invite only global community for business and technology leaders. <laughs> <laughs>